Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within, and like the phoenix, enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Helen Delheim, a former attorney and now real estate executive. She recounts how the untimely tragic death of her mother was the event that gave her the courage to make dramatic changes in her life, both personal and professional. Please welcome Helen Delheim. Welcome, Helen, to Phoenix Tales. I always start the conversation off by asking one question, and that question is, has there been an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have redirected the course of your life? Well, first, thanks for having me. Forgive me if it's I'm a little bit nervous, but to answer your question, there's probably one event that just blooms in my mind. It pops up all the time, and that's the sudden death of my mom. She was 58. I had just had a baby. He was one. I think looking back, that's probably the one event that completely changed personally my life course. So you said quite suddenly. So it wasn't as though she had an illness or anything. So can you tell us how she did die? It was basically my younger brother and his then wife were coming back from their honeymoon and my parents were picking them up at Kennedy. They were in an accident where they were T-boned and on the way to the hospital, she died from massive internal injuries. So when you talk about that moment being the pivotal moment, I think that when people lose someone quite suddenly in a way, like your mother was taken in an accident, there's really no time to kind of grapple with. It's so unforeseen. Can you think back to beyond the shock and the dismay, just what you were experiencing emotionally as you were also trying to care for your one-year-old? It's so hard to describe. It's more like more than dismay or shock. I guess it's just complete shock. I was so close to my mom. It just completely halted in a way that I just don't have, usually I'm very verbal, but it's hard to describe. And for decades, I couldn't even speak about the event. And certainly within our family, her death, we didn't even speak about her. We can even say her in Korean. We can mention her because it was so hard on all of us. Even to this day, it's hard for me to talk about it. So forgive me if I get a little verklempt. No, of course. I just want you to know that parental death has been a recurring theme on this podcast. Interesting. Yeah, it is amazing to me. And it doesn't matter how old or how young they were when they lost the one parent or parents, that it really is the pivotal moment for most people, regardless of their age, when they lost the parent. So you're actually not quite alone in that. So how did the impact of that start to kind of play out in your family. You know, there's always one person in the family that kind of holds the family together. And I think in a lot of Korean families, it's the mother, right? Exactly. 
And I can only imagine if my mother passed the chasms that it would create in my family dynamic. So what was the emotional fallout for your family after her passing? It was um, personally for me, not just in our family, but for me, it was things that happened within my marriage that became so evident that I had really married the wrong person. I had been suffering kind of postpartum and started going to see a therapist thinking, okay, you know, what's wrong with me? And when she died so suddenly, the things that my ex said to me was so jarring and how he behaved was all the alarm bells went off like, oh, maybe it's not just me. (laughs) Did that sort of propel you into making those drastic and dramatic life changes as in starting to think about ending your marriage and moving on with a one-year-old child? Yes. So it took a while, of course, because it takes a while to undo the I do. And it took a few years for me to digest and pretty much process the fact that he wasn't the partner that I thought I had married. And in my head, you know, we all create a script in our head of who the person is. And then as life and day-to-day activities unfold, you go, oh, well, that doesn't align with (laughs) the story of the narrative that I created or the, the persona that you think that you've married. Then later on, it was things like the fact that I needed his support with taking care of my little one. Then, of course, because I was in grief, I skipped pills and I became pregnant. My younger was an oops, in a sense, because my then husband, he wasn't really ready or thinking he'd want a second. So, of course, it happened. And psychologically, I'm thinking, oh, I can't process this grief. I have a new baby that I have to protect. So all that emotional work that, that I probably should have been going through, I put aside and said, you know, taking care of my body and just being healthy taking care of the one-year-old. That's the most important thing. You mentioned briefly that you also were suffering from postpartum. I mean, I suffer from postpartum as well after the birth of my son. How were you able to function when you're already feeling not great emotionally, mentally, and then on top of that to have this incredible tragedy occur? Were there days where you just thought, I can't get out of bed? And if so, what propelled you out of bed? There would be times I'd wake up and go, oh, I don't feel like doing anything. But of course, when you have to feed your child, and I think my maternal instinct is greater than any other instinct I have. And so taking care of my oldest was paramount. It didn't matter how I felt physically, mentally, emotionally, I needed to function for him. When you look back and start to unpack that for yourself, was there a delayed reaction in terms of a moment in your life where you allowed yourself to really fully grieve and to allow yourself to feel all of the emotions that you experienced that you weren't kind of given the opportunity to experience in that moment? Fortunately for me, I realized I needed therapy and I needed to continue. I then had taken a break probably for a couple of years. And then realized I needed to really start talking to someone because I was also being told by my ex that he didn't accept postpartum even before the 
postpartum, I was, you know, saying, hey, maybe we should go to therapy or maybe we need to talk about our dynamic here. And he said, oh, I don't believe in therapists. I don't believe in psychology and all this talk stuff. He took a chapter straight out of his father's script, which was, if you go to a therapy, you'll get divorced. So I went back and then through my therapist, I started to be able to grieve and go through that process. But it took about 10 years. Was it just the shock of your mother's death that kind of made you look at your marriage and your life differently? Or had you been aware of it and had your mother lived, do you think that you would have pursued really trying to figure out whether or not this marriage was right or wrong? I want to say our mother's death because my twin sister and I, we both had married the wrong people. We both got married. We realized a little bit under pressure from our mom saying, oh, it's time to get married. You have to get married. Finished your law degrees and now it's time to get married before. And and our father being like, oh, you're going to be too old. Our mom, and I'm sure you know, Korean moms are like Jewish moms. Lots of guilt very strong. She was a master at it. She knew how to guilt us like no other. So when she suddenly passed, both my sister and I, it took some months, maybe a couple of years, but we were like, oh, wow. And we had this conversation afterwards when I said, we're getting divorced. And my sister's like, I'm so glad you're doing it. And if mom were alive, we wouldn't be able to do this. I said, absolutely, we wouldn't be able to do this. Not to paint her as a villain, but that's how big a role or stronger personality and presence she was in our lives. That's so interesting because I've asked this question to everyone in my interviewees who had lost a parent. And I think it's a Korean thing where in my mind, the minute that I lose one of my parents is the moment in which I will really start to feel adult, that the apron strings will start to fray a little bit. I won't feel so tethered to my family in a way. Was that part of the rationale of why you and your sister would have kind of endured unhappy marriages if your mother had still been alive? Oh, I think absolutely. That's absolutely the the crux of it. I think it would have taken much longer. Probably we would have ended up in the same place, but maybe after the kids had grown up and moved out of the house. And maybe after I would have shared more with her what's going on internally in our marriage, which we never discussed. When I had the conversation, oh, I I want you to meet someone. I said, he's Jewish, but in law school. And all they could say was, look, we're just happy you found someone. So how long did that process take for you to finally say, okay, we're done and I'm now going to be divorced and a divorced mother too? Eight years, (laughs) Not, not overnight. I mean, divorce in itself is another ending. You've had to grieve your mother's death, but now you have to sort of grieve the ending of a marriage, which to me also is about grieving the hope and the aspirations and the dreams that you had sort of built around this institution that you entered into. So what did that look like for you when you were going through that grief of realizing that yes, I made a bad choice, but more importantly, now I'm letting this part of my life also kind of have its own death. I think by the time I arrived at that decision, it took so many hours and days and months and years that by then it was kind of already in the rear view, kind of a foregone conclusion. So I was already feeling better looking forward. The grieving I think was happening during 
before I finally said, okay, I'm done. And I had that conversation, you know, just even broaching the conversation of divorce with your partner. It takes a lot. We weren't the kind of couple that thought our friends are always like, oh, you guys are such perfect couple. We always look so happy. Well, you know, hello, looks are deceiving. And inside the marriage, there's a lot going on that's not spoken. I think there's actually a statistic out there somewhere that couples that you see bickering and arguing all the time, they're the ones that stay together. (laughs) The ones that are quiet and seem perfectly fine, they're the ones you're like, what? Maybe it's just the perception of when you're with people that argue and bicker, you're like, you're just waiting for them to divorce or hoping that they will. But in fact, they're airing all the stuff and getting out the emotional conflict. And we didn't, we didn't communicate that way. And he didn't come from a family that did that. I didn't come from a family that did that. So we didn't fight in that sense or argue. You mentioned the fact that your mother was a typical Korean mother and could be slightly overbearing and very involved in your lives. How has that informed you as far as parenting your own kids? Meaning when your mother died, in a way, you've kind of felt a different sense of freedom. You could redo things. How did that inform the way you parented your two kids? I had always wanted to do it with an open mind and be conscientious that I shouldn't meddle or be overbearing, don't helicopter. I just didn't want to choose their paths. In that sense, I do have some regrets because my son went off to California. I'm like, oh, I should have kept him here like my mother would have told me to do. (laughs) So he wouldn't be gone. And when he decided to go far, and I encouraged him because that was also my impulse when I was looking at colleges and my mother was like, oh, no, you're not going anywhere because if you go, you're never coming back. It's like, hmm, she's got a point there. I probably won't be coming back. When you look at that moment of losing your mom to where your life is today, and you said that was kind of the pivotal turning point, how else did it kind of change the trajectory of your life? I mean, meaning like professionally, personally, did it make you more of a risk taker or did it make you more cautious? Can you unpack for yourself the real impact of that to where you are today? Definitely more of a risk taker. Definitely not feeling like someone's always going to judge or kind of want to steer you one way is completely liberating in that you can make your own mistakes and no one's going to say, oh, I told you so. (laughs) (laughs) We can love our, especially our moms. I mean, certainly of a certain generation as well. And culture, they definitely can try and keep you from coloring outside the lines. I would have kept to law. I would have probably kept on a much more conservative instead of saying, you know what, I'm I'm not doing this. I'm going to do real estate, things like that, that professionally affected me because I don't think I would have made jumps in a career jump if she had lived. I think she would have tried to steer me from making any big career jumps. And as you know, from our generation of Korean American women, we all went to law school or (laughs) med school or became dentists and that's the other profession she wanted me to be, dentists, doctors, engineers. And, and yet a lot of us, I think, have switched or pivoted away from those traditional professions because now we can. And I think that's what the most amazing thing to watch is to see our community really 
blossom into the creative arts, which was... Which was unheard of. 30 years ago. 30 years ago, unheard of. 25 years ago, 20 years ago, unheard of. So when did you make that shift from, first of all, what kind of law were you practicing? Were you at a firm? Were you in-house? And then when in your career did you just decide, okay, I've had enough and I'm going to do X? Because that's another recurring theme of a number of lawyers coming on the show and having made career changes. We jokingly call it, you know, recovering attorney class. Mm -hmm. It was trust and estates law. I had started in commercial litigation in New York. And I was like, this is an interesting area. I had thought it was interesting in law school, but didn't think to pursue it. And being the executrix of our estate made me realize, oh, this is really interesting. I want to do this. So I practiced trust and estate law. I didn't ever go full-time. I was part-time in a small firm. And then every estate that has any value that needs planning has real estate. And so I said, you know, I'm going to do this the transaction side, not just sit at my desk and write a will or, and that's the other thing when you're drafting trust and estates documents, I would worry about, am I going to hear about this like 20, 30 years later? And so that's the level of anxiety and worry I would have over drafting documents. Once it's done, it's done. Closing, you know, lease signing, done. I don't have to ever think about it again until... Of course, they have to find space or they're looking for the next, but it's not so, did I make a mistake? Did I do something? Could I have done it better? You then moved into real estate. Are you doing residential or commercial? I started in residential when the boys were little and then I went straight. And when, as soon as they were old enough and I could do more the nine to five, I went straight into commercial about 12 years ago. I love the way you described that as tragic as it was to lose your mom, in a sense, it created an opening for you to take risks. So you talked about the career shifts that you made that you might not have made had she still been alive. So what were some of the personal risks that you've taken that with this newfound sense of freedom that you were like, wow, you know, I can try X or I can be in this kind of relationship or not? I'm not sure her death would have changed or hers continuing to live, I guess that's a tough question to answer. I'm not sure I can answer that because I don't think I would have, I mean, the person that I was before in looking at personal relationships, I don't think that changed. I was always more of a open mind risk taker with people, much to my twin sisters. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's the word? Uh, Chagrin. (laughs) Chagrin, yes. She was like, what? (laughs) She would wonder, what do you see in him? You know, that kind of thing. I don't tend to gravitate towards the color within the lines kind of people. I guess that's how I describe it. In what other ways did you feel the freedom to color outside the lines? I don't know if there are any other than the two on the personal, on the divorce side and professional switching to real estate. I can't think of anything else. I probably need more time. Maybe I need more therapy to think about that. (laughs) Have you thought about, because I've asked this with other people who've lost their parents when they were younger, do you have that sort of, oh, my mother died at 58. I want to make sure that I live beyond 58 for my own kids, that kind of fear? I did in the beginning because actually my grandmother, my mother's mother died at 58 and then she died at 58. It sounds silly. Does that have some kind of meaning? Now, I, obviously it doesn't. I'm close to that. 
I don't feel like this need, like I have to live past it. I have lived, like people say, live each day like it's your last. I have done that since she passed because I think it's very important because we really don't know when our time is. So whenever it is, I'm hoping that I've given my sons enough skills and understanding that, yeah, it'll be okay. If you need help, go talk to a therapist. I do, I'm a big proponent and supporter of the mental health professionals and therapists and counselors. They have embraced it, thank goodness. So you said something really, really wonderful and piqued my curiosity when you said that you live each day as if it were to be your last. How does that impact your day-to-day choices or what does that look like? Is it a psychological way of looking at each day or are there things that you do where you're like, oh, you know what, I'm going to do this because I'm not going to wait for tomorrow because I don't know if there will be a tomorrow. I'm not a huge fan of having set schedules. I'm on the other extreme, which I love when things happen spontaneously. I make a point of reaching out to people that I care about and love and they know how I feel about them. And that to me, that's the most important thing every day. It's not so much do what I do as in activities. I work really hard at what I do and I care about the people that I help. And that's really, it can be, if you're in sales, which brokerage is, I don't think of myself as a salesperson. I think of myself as an advisor to people, helping them every day. That's fulfilling my life goal, which is if I can help, one or two people a day and enjoy the walk outside, playing tennis. I can't do it every day, but if I can fit it in during my week, I'm very happy. And I think it's also a mind shift. A long time ago, my sister said, happiness is a choice. And I got so mad at her. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) that is not true. Well, you know, there is some truth to it. There is a truth in that the brain, it can be rewired. It takes effort. It takes lots of hours of probably internal work. But I do believe it's possible. And just like we can rewire if we have love in our life and with children who've suffered ACEs, when they go through that circle of security and we teach them how to cope and learn how to deal with the adversity or emotional, the negative emotions. And that's the kind of help we all need. And I think if every day our goal is to help someone, I think we'd all be happier. That's why it doesn't, it wouldn't matter to me. I would love to see my grandchildren. I would love to see my second son get married and my nieces, niece and nephews and all of that. But if it were my time tomorrow, it's okay because I feel every day fulfilling that mission. That's my life. That's what makes me happy. That's my conclusion on my life, not what I achieve, you know, how many thousands of people I've impacted. So I can just impact one in a day. That makes me happy. If you kind of look back and if you could have that one conversation or one last conversation with your mom, what do you think that conversation would have been? I think my conversation with my mom would have been, it would be thank you for basically sharing and teaching us all the skills that we need and also asking her to be open that life can be unexpected and that what she's taught us is going to help us 
to be resilient and recover and find our way. It would be basically a thank you, being grateful for all that you did. Do you have your own personal rituals of honoring both your mom and your dad? So I live in Maryland. They're buried in Long Island. So twice a year, it's not a specifically the day that she passed or the day that he passed. So I guess I have a hybrid or modified ritual, which is in honoring them. I go either close to Mother's Day or close to Christmas. I go and say a prayer and bring her flowers, bring them flowers because they're buried in the same place. Well, that's a great place to end. So we get to the last question. And the question that I like to ask is, is there a song that has resonated with you or sometimes feels as though someone had written it for you or about you? What's the song and why? The song that, of course, the artist that always, or the musical group that always gets me up and and dancing is ABBA. <laughs> so which of their songs? Oh, I guess it would be Dancing Queen. Mm, and why? Mm, it's something about the beat. Maybe it's the fact that, I don't know if it's so much the words, it's the music and feeling like I am the dancing queen because I am. I love music and I love to dance. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Helen, for doing this. You're welcome. So how can people find you if they want to reach out? Oh, well, I'm all over Facebook and certainly on LinkedIn. I'm very uncreative. My Instagram handle is just my name. So it's very easy to find me and I'm happy to connect. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it, I'ma say this because. We gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, would have.